Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Six. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It's Friday, August 12th, 2022. To all those celebrating a birthday today, happy birthday. Six is the word because six will never be a number worn by another NBA player ever again. If you're wearing six right now, you're good. But as of yesterday, the number six doesn't exist anymore. Number six is the number worn by Bill Russell, who died last week at the age of 88. Maybe we didn't talk enough about Bill Russell. Maybe we did not explain to you his importance, the fact that he's the winningest player in NBA history, the fact that he was a civil rights activist, the fact that he was broke the color barrier in the coaching ranks. Maybe we didn't explain the impact that the Celtics have had on the NBA. Maybe we didn't talk to you about Red Arback, the teams he led, the teams he coached. But it didn't even occur to me that the NBA was going to retire his number on behalf of all 32 clubs. Nobody's worn number six for the Celtics since he did. Normal. Absolutely fine. When I read that his number was being retired... My immediate reaction was exactly the same as my reaction upon reflection, and it was why. Now, before you hang up and you're a Celtics fan or a New Englander, hear me out on two reasons why it makes zero sense what the NBA did. Let's start with something that Coca talk to me about as we were preparing for the show, something that I think about every single day. And it's the concept of what you do for people when they're alive versus what you do for people when they're dead. Of course, the game that's played on Levitard is, will you attend his or her funeral? And we come up with names or Mike Ryan comes up with names and we say, yeah, I'll go to his funeral. No, I won't go to his funeral. And it's fun. It's a game. But in real life, 
How many of you, when someone dies, say, I've got to go to this funeral. I want to show respect for this person, for the person's family, for the relationship we've, we had, for the, the role that this person played in my life. And how many times when that person was alive, did you not take the phone call? Did you not make the extra effort to go visit that person or speak to that person or see that person or share a moment with that person? Take that person for granted? One of the things that I was taught throughout my childhood is that it's the things you do in people's life that is far more important than what you do in their death. And I've spent decades thinking about the concept, thinking about what it feels like when someone in your family dies, what it feels like when a friend, someone you work with, thinking about moments that were missed, that were lost, decisions that you made, that if you had to do it again, you say, God, I wish I had spent more time with that person. Yet what we do, and we can't help it, we do it as sports executives, we do it as corporate executives, we do it as patriarchs, we do it as members of family, members of friend groups, is we snap to attention when we get the phone call. So the NBA was fully aware that Bill Russell was going to die. As a matter of fact, 13 years ago, they honored him while he was 75 years old. He was quite alive. And they named the NBA Finals MVP trophy after him. And I remember thinking at the time, as a Knicks fan, it's infuriating, but I get why. It makes perfect sense to me. 12 years later, the NBA said, we're going to honor Larry Bird and Magic Johnson while they're alive. We're going to name the conference finals MVP after them. Eastern Conference Bird, Western Conference Magic. And I remember saying, that is a perfect homage to two players amongst the top five, arguably, all time. In every GOAT conversation you have, about the NBA, and we all have the debates, the conversations, how many of you end up on Bill Russell? What happens when LeBron dies or becomes 70 years old, 80 years old? What about Michael Jordan? Do you know the only two players who have their numbers retired by the league are Wayne Gretzky and Jackie Robinson? We can argue all day about why Wayne Gretzky's number got retired by hockey, how he made hockey relevant south of the border, how his trade from Edmonton to LA and what it meant to hockey in LA, what it meant as the greatest hockey player of all time. And it's not even an argument. His number was retired because of his greatness in the game. Okay, it wasn't done because of the things he did off the ice or the way he is off the ice, but I can rally around why the NHL trying to hold on to someone like Wayne Gretzky, wants him involved in ownership, wants him involved in running teams, doesn't want anyone to wear 99. I get it. I'm good. Major League Baseball retired Jackie Robinson's number, not because Jackie Robinson is one of the greatest players of all time, because of what Jackie Robinson meant to a sport that was so desperate to try to have you believe that they were thinking about and concerned with people of color. You retire his number, you talk about his values, you honor his family time and time again, you make sure no one wears 42, and you get to say every single year that you get it, that you're woke, you're on it. But MLB wears it. They don't try to say it was the best of all time. 
The NBA had no such numbers retired. No one even talked about when Bill Russell died, whether or not it should be an honor that his number is retired league-wide. No one talked about it when he was alive, that his number should be retired league-wide. What changed other than Bill Russell dying that made Adam Silver say to the owners, we got to think about this honor for Bill Russell. The finals MVP is not enough. We have got to make it clear. And I mean crystal clear that Bill Russell was a one of a kind. I wonder what the owners said to that. Do you think the owners immediately agreed? Yes, that makes perfect sense. We should double up on the honor for Bill Russell. And then we've opened the floodgate of retiree numbers league-wide. What happens when Kareem dies? Is it acknowledged that Bill Russell was better than Kareem? He won more titles? There's seven players that I could say the same thing about. Baseball doesn't have to have that argument because they put Jackie Robinson in a place where the reason his number retired, again, had nothing to do with skill. It had to do with legacy. Bill Russell doesn't have a legacy in basketball. It doesn't mean we shouldn't learn about Bill Russell. It doesn't mean we shouldn't know how great he was on and off the court. That's what obituaries are for. That's what conversations should be had while he was alive. And commentators did have those conversations when Bill Russell was sitting courtside at a game to teach younger people, to teach up and coming players who Bill Russell was. But to retire his number, the NBA is taking a victory lap for it. A victory lap. That's not worthy of a victory lap. It's not worthy of even a victory applause. It is some attempt by the National Basketball Association to install a level of import on someone whose import did not change in the last 10 years. I don't know why we do things after people die. Do yourself a favor this weekend. Do something for someone who's alive. Do something for a member of your family, a friend of yours, somebody. Don't wait. How many times have we had that as a concept on Nothing Personal? We did a whole show after Africa about don't wait to do the things you want to do. Why are we a group of people? It just occurred to me, Coca, this is a total side note, not in the rundown, I'm sorry. Is that our DNA? Because we certainly don't get that from animals. Animals don't wait for anything. And I can tell you firsthand that I've seen it. When they're hungry, they eat. When they're ready to have sex they mate there's no waiting people wait for everything the nba made a mistake by waiting and it opens themselves up to major debates where maybe owners say hey i don't have to be part of those debates i won't even own the team then we can worry about the next death and the next death part of your job when you run a team with the marlins we have we had one retired number and it was the number five who the president of the marlins his name was carl barger at the time that I was president, I was the third president in team history. Carl Barger was number one, Dave Dabrowski number two, and then I was number three. Carl Barger was named president by Wayne Huizinga before the Marlins ever played a game, and he never got to actually be the president when the Marlins were playing only while they were becoming a franchise. And so Wayne Huizinga retired his number. And we never retired another number. John Henry didn't, then Jeffrey Loria didn't, Bruce Sherman has not. And we talked about retiring Jeff Conine's number, maybe Jack McKeon's number. 
Do you think about retiring Luis Castillo's number, not the pitcher for the Mariners? The fact that I have to say that means that that's a number that you don't retire, even though he's one of the greatest all-time Marlins, without a doubt. As a matter of fact, Carl Barger's number got unretired by Jeffrey Loria because Logan Morrison wanted to wear number five in a story that I've told before, and it made me crazy. It's funny. Do you know why it made me crazy the time and I appealed to Jeffrey and I said, do not unretire his number because one day, what if that happens to us and we get absolutely cast aside as though we didn't exist, as though we had nothing to do with anything Marlins related? It was hard to picture that at the time, but it's happened. You can't unretire a number. Once it's done, it's done. It is permanent. It's not like a tattoo permanent, which you can have removed, even though we did. But in general, it's like children. Once you have them, you always have them. So choose wisely. The NBA did not choose wisely. Let me conclude the Bill Russell segment by giving you one little caveat. For people who are interpreting this as an anti-Bill Russell or an anti-Celtics or an anti-black, an anti-white, whatever you're doing, that's not what this segment was about. This was about what a league needs to consider when they decide to make a move like this, which is a historic move. And you've got to be able to forecast the future because you are carrying the mantle for the league right now. But the league is going to go on for decades, hundreds of years. You've got to think about those things. And clearly, they didn't. As a matter of fact, I could argue there's franchises who never think about the future. And what they do is they just retire the same number twice. The Yankees did that, right? Yankees are a funny example of retired numbers. They don't have many numbers left. They can't retire too many more. It's hard to get a single digit. Are there any single digit numbers available in New York right now? I guess I could, that'd be a good trivia quiz. Can you name the retired numbers? I think they retired three number eights, but that's still number eight, but they didn't retire it till all three were done, but then they did it to honor those three. Obviously number two is done, that's Jeter. I wonder if they retired Billy Martin number one. Can't remember. One through 10 are retired, Coca. That's it. No more single digits. That's not really planning ahead, is it? So these sports leagues spend time at owners' meetings. They spend time when they aren't in person and they're on the phone, on Zoom. They're always trying to figure out how they can communicate to fans that they're doing the right thing. That's what we do in front offices. Hey, we're trying to build a winner. Hey, we're trying to be responsible community partners. Hey, we're paying attention to the most recent natural disaster. We're going to give money to this, to that. You show me a tsunami and I'll show you a donation by a league or by a players association. Hurricane, we're there for you. During this period of the last few years, during the period of the social and the racial reckoning, the leagues all sat together and said, man, we got to figure out a way to get more diverse. Baseball has been talking about getting more black players playing, try to be more reflective of the audience, trying to build the game, diversify the game. Diversity has been a tag word in baseball since I started. It's a tag word everywhere. And when teams are sold, every league, and look for this, when teams are sold, every commissioner says the same thing. 
We are looking for diverse ownership. When Magic Johnson got a piece of the Dodgers, it became huge news. LeBron James, a piece of the Red Sox, huge news. Look, we've got black owners. When the Denver Broncos were being sold because the Pat Boland family was fighting after Pat Boland's death, Roger Goodell said, we would very much like to see diversity in ownership. There was talk about having a person of color as the majority owner, and it was poppycock. Roger Goodell, like Rob Manford, like Adam Silver, like Gary Bettman, like every owner of every team, is not interested in the color of the majority partner. They are interested in the number of zeros in the majority partner's financial statement and the number of zeros on the purchase agreement of the team. Hard stop. They're going to tell you something different, of course, but it's not accurate. And it gets proven time and time again, but still we come back for more. The Denver Broncos were sold for $4.65 billion, a record for a North American sports franchise. They were sold to Rob Walton, an heir of Walmart, who is worth $60 billion. He went to his piggy bank on his dresser like Steve Ballmer so many years ago to buy the Clippers, and he wrote a check and said, I'm in. I want to own the Broncos, and we're going to make them a first-class organization. We're going to win. We're going to be responsible members of our community. He had the perfect opening statement that any owner would have. And then they posted a picture where they touted how diverse the ownership was of the Broncos. They parade out Condoleezza Rice. They parade out Lewis Hamilton and Melody Hobson. Take a look, everybody. The Denver Broncos were sold. We've got black people. We've got black women. We've got the only black F1 driver. We are the face of diversity. This is a new day in the NFL. How much money did Condoleezza Rice or Lewis Hamilton or Melody Hobson put into that deal when you know that Rob Walton could write the check for the full amount? It's not like they put a syndicate together. Did it remind you of when Stephen Ross brought in Mark Anthony and Serena Williams and Gloria Stefan to be owners of the Dolphins? Wink, wink. They didn't pay a penny. They had to walk the red carpet. As long as people of color continue to be okay with being in the photo, there will be no progress in minority ownership. When you agree to play a part in the very thing that you are fighting so hard to prevent, how exactly do you expect to progress? And in no way am I downplaying the importance of Lewis Hamilton or Melody Hobson or Condoleezza Rice and what they've done and what they do and who they are and how much money they have or what kind of family people they are. I'm not talking about them specifically. I'm talking about the concept that the NFL and all these leagues think that you post a photo and everyone says, how great, we have checked the diversity ownership box. It's one of the great pieces of horse hockey that we deliver to you as sports owners and executives.
When you look at Walmart, the company, Rob Walton installed his son-in-law as chairman of the Broncos. Then they hired a black president like the Washington commanders did. But we're talking about ownership. What piece of the team does the Broncos president have? I tried to negotiate a piece of the team. There are plenty of presidents who try to negotiate a piece of the team and they get a profit participation, maybe a point, maybe two points if they're lucky. Nada. I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of it. And here's the problem. No one was going to pay $4.65 billion other than Rob Walton. That's how we got the team. It had nothing to do with his minority partners who were minorities, his limited partners who were majorities or minorities. Owners of teams do not care. They don't. And it doesn't make them wrong. It doesn't make them racist. It just makes them business people. All right, when we come back, oh, God, we're going to talk about train wrecks. We have to. There's some train wrecks going on. We're going to review a movie called Trainwreck, not the train wreck with Amy Schumer, if she made that movie. It's a different movie about Woodstock. And then we're going to talk about two players that I could argue are the definition of train wrecks. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Today's Friday. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing. Thank you for getting on YouTube. Just go on Nothing Personal with David Sampson. See if today's jacket is better and less magician-like. I didn't want to wear this back-to-back with yesterday's jacket, but again, not much choice. Every day we watch a movie. Every day. Coca called me up four days ago and said, you got to watch this documentary on Netflix called Trainwreck, Woodstock 99. And I said to him, I think I've seen it. He said, no, you haven't. It just came out. I said, I think we reviewed something about Woodstock 99. And this is not the first time it happened. It just happened with uh, with Shithouse and with uh, Cha-Cha Real Smooth with Cooper Rafe. We keep a list of every movie we review. Coca has a spreadsheet. I keep a list of every movie I watch, and I put a star next to it if I've seen it if I've reviewed it on Nothing Personal or on Levitard. But that doesn't mean I can remember it. Someone said to me last night, this is so ironic, Coca. Someone asked me last night, we were talking about the uh, the doctor who kept implanting his patients with his own sperm and he had like a 1,000 children or 10,000 children and they discovered it through 23andMe. And I said, hey, there was a documentary about that and I watched it, I reviewed it, And for all the tea in China, I cannot tell you what it was called. And I'll tell you right now that Coca didn't know that that was going to be in my head. And Coca is so quiet right now because he's pouring over the list of reviews that we've done. And he can't come up with it. Our father. Yes. You really knew that, Matt? All right. That's impressive. All right. It was gross. So they can't hear you. All right. Yes, it was gross. He wants everyone to know that that was gross. Yes, it was. Basting women with your own sperm when you're supposed to be going to a doctor, not ideal. Not ideal. 
So Trainwreck Woodstock 99 is the three-part series on Netflix about the Woodstock 99 concert that happened in 1999. Happened at Woodstock, not really. It happened on a tarmac of an abandoned, what's it, what's it called? Oh my God, it's Friday. Just another manic Friday. A base, an air base, an airfield. Yes, an abandoned airfield. So this was a concert where you saw Limp Bizkit, you saw Korn, you saw DMX, you saw Wycliffe Jean, you saw Jewel, you saw Sheryl Crow, you saw feces, you saw mud, you had no water, you saw fleas flee of the Red Hot Chili Peppers to close the show, you saw Jimi Hendrix, you saw fire, you saw rain. You saw sunny days that you thought would never end. If you want to learn what happens when Fire Festival actually has music, watch Woodstock 99. And what bothered me most about the documentary, which is a phenomenal documentary, they got all the right interviews with the people who were there, John Schur, Michael Lang, the promoters, the inventors of Woodstock 69 who came back to do Woodstock 99, What they neglected to pay attention to other than the safety of the 200,000 people who were there, other than water, food, bathrooms, they forgot to pay attention to all the sexual assaults that took place. They forgot to pay attention to the fact that they put a bunch of drunk kids in one place and basically had no rule of law, complete anarchy. All I thought of is that I did not go. I was 31 at the time, and I did not go. It didn't even occur to me to go. That was when we were negotiating to get the Expos. I think it was the summer of 99, July 23rd to 25th of 99, celebrating my daughter's fourth birthday on July 25th of 99. And I just kept thinking, would I ever want my kids going to a music festival? And my answer was, in my mind, definitely. You know, there's Lollapalooza, there's Carlapalooza, there's all these different loses, and you go, you play music, you go to, what's that thing in uh, Ultra? Is it called Ultra in Miami? Where just people go and do ecstasy and get stoned, and everyone who lives downtown leaves downtown? I can't remember what it's called. But I'm in. Because it would never even occur to me that the group of people who are enjoying the music, who are taking the drugs and doing the drinking and not doing the sleeping, it would not occur to me that this behavior would take place and the people who ran the event knew it was going to happen because when you treat people like animals, they act like animals. And that came up in the documentary and it made me think. It made me think about our criminal justice system. It made me think about different people around the world. When you treat people like animals, they act like animals. At Woodstock 99, those 200,000 people were most certainly treated like animals. And are they surprised that they burnt the whole damn place down and acted like animals? Check out the three-part documentary. It's like a short movie. It's three by 50, 150, it's a two and a half hour movie. I mean, that's like a Tuesday, right? Trainwreck, Woodstock 99. Trainwreck is a great word. I may overuse that word. I say, I can't turn away. It's like a train wreck. 
I don't know why we choose train wreck and not boat wreck. Maybe because boat wreck doesn't seem so bad. And maybe a plane wreck, you don't want to say, hey, this is like a plane crash. You don't want to say that because that hits too close to home or people are too anxious about that or feeling like it could happen and they want to travel. I travel on trains a lot in the Northeast Corridor, and I never think about, hey, there was a train wreck. Like, I don't think about the fugitive, or I don't think about the actual train wreck that just happened in St. Louis, in Missouri, with Amtrak. But train wreck has come to mean people that have just, the wheels have come off the wagon. Maybe you say the wheels have come off the car. Two people we need to talk about. One is going to be quick, the second will not be. I want to start with the quick one, Kyrie Irving. I do believe, and I have said on this show, that he is a train wreck. And the reason I've said he's a train wreck is that, not that he wouldn't get vaccinated. He had a job to do and wouldn't do it. He's outspoken and thoughtful about his views of where basketball fits in his life and where he believes it should fit in your life. And he's perfectly fine with telling you where it should fit in the pantheon of importance. Not a good teammate, won a championship with LeBron and that's about as good as it's gonna get for him. The general manager of the Nets, Sean Marks, said of Kyrie Irving, we're not signing him long-term. We, he picked up his player option, but we need players on this team who are gonna be about the team and not about the me and team. Not about the I and team, but about the T. And then Kyrie Irving says he wants to be traded. He thinks LeBron wants him back, maybe a Westbrook for Irving trade. But he doesn't demand a trade. He doesn't pull a Durant. And then Durant came out and did the ultimatum, which was a show we did, I don't know, two weeks ago, when Durant said that he was either trade me or fire Steve Nash and Sean Marks. And I thought that's a brand new level of train wreck. And then Kyrie Irving's agent came out a few days ago and said, listen, for all people who are wondering, Kyrie Irving, my client, who doubles as my stepson, he hired his stepmother like in March of this year to be his agent. She works for a TV network, I think. I'm not exactly sure how it happened. She had to have gotten certified because you can't be an official agent unless you're certified, but maybe she's not his actual agent. Maybe she's his marketing person. Maybe she's his family. Hard to know exactly what it is, but she came out and was very clear that Kyrie Irving, my client, my stepson, he does not hate Steve Nash and Sean Marks. (laughs) Here's what he meant to say. I am not Kevin Durant. Well, guess what, Kyrie? You didn't need to say that for all of us to know that you're not Kevin Durant, either on the court or off the court. But in my entire career, I never had a player agent come out and comment on their feelings of an existing GM or coach. I had plenty, plenty of players after the fact, man, what took so long, or after the fact, I can't believe you fired that guy. I'm very concerned about the direction of our team. I'm not sure you guys know what you're doing. I've had all that. And maybe they were right, maybe they were wrong. The closest I've come is after a trade where players like Giancarlo Stanton went on the went on Twitter and said, now I've had it or I've had enough or these guys stink, I don't wanna be here. All of that to me 
it's not fine. And I remember speaking to G about that after the trade in 12. Like, you got to be better. You got to understand why this happened. But anyway, to come out the way Kyrie's agent did to try to say something that is the exact opposite of what his teammate. Now, keep in mind, Irving and Durant were put together by Irving and Durant. These aren't two strangers who were put together and aren't friends, who are only friends on the court but not off the court, who have chemistry that they pretend they have but don't really have. And I've seen plenty of that. Yes, Hanley and Jose. No chemistry, no love off the field or on the field. Kyrie and Kevin put themselves on the same team together. And now Kyrie is trying to separate himself so badly. The irony of that separation, it connected them. The Nets, maybe the Nets organization is the biggest train wreck. All right, I made a mistake yesterday. Not a correction on the show. It's it's worse. When you're on Twitter, you're going to get caught. If you retweet something and you do it without talking to Coca, you are in danger of getting caught. I saw a post by Antonio Brown yesterday. I immediately retweeted it. And I said he belongs on the Mount Rushmore of people lacking self-awareness. The quote was about things Antonio Brown had done in his career and how sorry he was that people will not get to see him again. How he can't see himself comparing himself to the Beatles or Jesus. And I read that and the first thing I thought was CTE. I thought this guy you know, ever since his career, he's the one who ran off the field holding his two fingers up when he got, and then he got suspended, and then he's not going to play for another team. We actually had to wait to see that Antonio Brown's career is done. Um, by the way, Coca, don't we have a wait to see about that? That Antonio Brown will never play another NFL down after he ran off the field? In any case, so I go ahead and retweet it. The majority of comments are you can't say Mount Rushmore, you have to say Mount Gregmore. Not one person said, hey, this is not what AB actually said. I had no idea until we were prepping for today's show. And Coca says to me, what is your handle and take? And what is your point about the AB situation and the train wreck that Antonio Brown is? And why are you saying it's a post for the ages? He didn't post that. He retweeted it. And I said, huh? He said, David, this was written by a parody mem account. All AB did was retweet it. I said, but it got like 150,000 likes and comments and everyone was talking about it like he's a total train wreck. And Coca said, he is a train wreck, but he did not write that post. Those are not his words. AB, I got it wrong. It happens, doesn't it? It's not that I regret it or anything. I'm just saying that I got it wrong. So as I reread his retweet, and I say to myself, maybe he's crazy as a fox. Maybe this has nothing to do with CTE. Maybe I drew a conclusion way too soon. 
The answer is we don't know. He's such a mercurial guy, doing such strange things post-playing career, pre-playing career, and during his playing career, that it's actually impossible to measure behavioral change. I could argue easily that he's doing the same stuff now that he was doing while he was actually an active player. The whole thing of CTE is what you become after you're a player. By the way, Brett Favre yesterday said, oh, I'm in, man. I've had thousands of concussions. Thousands. It's a little bit of hyperbole there, Brett. I think what he meant is I owe thousands of dollars to Mississippi. Maybe that's what he meant. Anyway, AB, you are a train wreck. God damn, I was prematurely celebrating that post. Nothing personal pick of the day. Did you watch the Field of Dreams game? I spent time yesterday on the Field of Dreams game telling you the players don't like to play it. Then you read the game report of the Cubs beating the Reds, which is what we told you would happen in Iowa. You had players like Joey Votto and the manager, David Ross. Everyone coming out saying this was a memory. This was the greatest moment of my life. Drew Smiley said, my wife and kid were here. I'll never forget it. I was touring the movie set. I saw corn. I saw horses. It was amazing, Grace. And you were all saying, God, Samson, you're so cynical. These players loved it. Okay. You keep believing in the Easter Bunny. But the Field of Dreams game happened, and all the talk was about Harry Carey and his take me out, what's it called, Coca? Come on, what's the thing called where uh, Tupac did it? Hologram, is that what it is? So they had a hologram of Harry Carey, who's the very famous announcer for the Chicago Cubs, who passed away. He also was the announcer for the White Sox, I believe, little known fact. And he sings Take Me Out to the Ball Game, which is very famous in Chicago. They have celebrities come do it during the seventh inning stretch. It becomes a thing. Harry Carey with his glasses. The hologram comes out. And all I was thinking while looking was, I don't want to say that I'm creeped out because I understand that it's the field of dreams. I get that you're trying to talk about, you're bringing people back from the dead. You're having people walk through corn. You're playing baseball where Timothy Busfield, Melissa Gilbert's husband now from 30-something, He comes and says, I don't see anything. Do you see something? And then he sees something. So what I was thinking during it is there's an entire department in MLB. It's called the Special Events Department. They plan everything from World Series to All-Star Games to owners meetings. Any event going on in Major League Baseball is centrally coordinated by this department. It was run by the great Marla Miller for a very long time. They have a very hard job. Anything that goes on like this, any of these games, the game in Fort Bragg, the game in the games in London, putting parties together, putting the pregame show, the first pitch, the seventh inning stretch, God bless America, the national anthem, all of that is done and it's coordinated by central baseball by a department. And I can picture the meeting as though I were there. Hey, we got the Cubs playing in the field of dreams. We gotta bring Harry Carey back. It's perfect. Did you think it was? I thought that it was a bridge too far. I believe the Yankees, they used to do this, and I actually don't know whether they do or they don't. The Yankees had a very famous PA announcer, and that PA announcer continued to introduce Mariano Rivera, now pitching number 42, Mariano Rivera. 
42. That is my childhood recollection of that announcer and how he would announce players. And they would play that. Bob Shepard. Thank you, Coco. Did you have that off the top of your head? Did you really? No. Okay, thank you for your honesty. So <laughs> I get playing Harry Carey the way the Yankees play Bob Shepard. I wish the Knicks would play John Condon. I grew up with that. But I didn't need to see the hologram. Okay, we're 82 and 66. The Cubs beat the Reds in the Field of Dreams. No Field of Dreams game next year. They're taking a year off, maybe more. All right, I got three picks for you because I'm feeling good. We're 82 and 66. We're 16 over, and I found three games that I love this weekend starting tonight, one a day. If you win, go to number two. If you win, go to number three. If you lose, double up on number two. JK, LOL. The Blue Jays... Cut that out. I just had some sort of animal in my throat. I was out dancing till 3.30 in the morning last night. Went to a place called Stephen Talkhouse, and they had disco night. So put on bell-bottom pants, tie-dye sunglasses, and uh, a shirt, and went and danced from like 10.30 until 2 a.m. And then by the time, got home, etc., it was 3.30, but we were here on time with you. However, and I'm not hungover in any way. I didn't drink. I was driving. I just danced the night away, and my hamstring's a little sore, and my back's a little sore. But of course, we were going to post today, both in every meaning of the word. But one of the things that happens after a night like that, in addition to sweating and requiring two showers, not one, is you get the occasional, uh, 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 uh. that just happened. And Coco, by the way, could edit that entire thing out, and you'll have no idea it happened. So here we go. Let's bring you in with the clean break. Four, six, nine. Pick of the day for tonight, Friday, August 12, 2022. The Toronto Blue Jays haven't played in two days. They got rained out, had an off day. Normally, you just play during the off day, but the team they were playing, the Orioles, had a different game to play. So they couldn't play the next day, Thursday. So the Blue Jays have been off for two days. The pitcher was supposed to pitch when the Orioles last played, which was our pick of the day that got postponed, was Berrios. They're now playing the Guardians, who are fighting for the Central Division. And here's my surprise. I'm sticking with the Blue Jays and Berrios. Tonight's game is just as important as the game against the Orioles pre-rainout. And Berrios has got to pitch better, and it starts tonight. Blue Jays over the Guardians. But I'm going back to the Orioles on Saturday because there's a huge series, and it's hard to imagine preseason that we'd be saying this, that the Rays and the Orioles are having a huge series in August. But you saw, get on Twitter, David P. Sampson, for the tweet about how the owners want the Orioles to win, how they're rooting for the Orioles. But when you've got the Rays and Orioles playing, it's a win-win situation. One of those two teams is going to win the game, is going to win the series. One of those two teams is going to make the playoffs. Every time a team with the low payroll makes the playoffs, it is a cause for celebration cool in the gang. Yes, that was played last night. One of the best pitchers in baseball, McClanahan's going against the Orioles on Saturday. Go with the Rays. They're a better team. I keep waiting for the Orioles to fall back to earth, and they're not but I'm still taking the race Saturday. Then we get to Sunday with the biggest series of the weekend. The National League Central has the St. Louis Cardinals playing the Milwaukee Brewers. 
We have spoken about the Brewers. You know my love for the Milwaukee Brewers. You know my love for Milwaukee. You know that they have struggled mightily since trading Josh Hader, regardless of whether Josh Hader has struggled as the closer for the Brewers and now the Padres. The Cardinals have taken over first place from the Brewers. As a matter of fact, I did not. I'm just admitting this. I admit everything to you. I didn't look last night. Let me just make sure it's still true. St. Louis, half a game up on the Brewers. So they've passed the Brewers for first place. And the Brewers, by the way, let it be known, are not even in the wild card. They're a game back of San Diego. Hmm. It's a pretty important series. We used to have a thing with pitchers that we counted on pitchers after their worst outing of the season to have their best outing of the season. You can't do this with pitchers who are mediocre, but the above average pitchers, when you leave them in there to wear it, wearing it is when you tell your pitcher in advance, no matter what happens, you have to give us four innings. No matter what happens, you're giving us one inning. I don't care if you give up 25 runs and you have to throw 50 pitches, you are getting us three outs. With starters, you don't do it as often. With starters you have signed to long-term deals, you do it even less than that. But Miles Mikolas, last start for the Cardinals, gave up 14 hits and 10 runs in two and two-thirds. When you let one of your starters, who is an important part of your team, give up 14 hits and 10 earned runs, you are sending a message to your team that that performance will not be acceptable. We are not bailing you out, Miles. We're not going to get you hurt because we have you signed, but we're going to let you wear one of the worst line scores that you can possibly have. The minute that game happened, I was looking for his next start, which happens to come Sunday against the Brewers. I'm sorry, people in Milwaukee, I really am, but I'm going with Miles Mikolas to have a rebound start and beat the Brewers. That's Blue Jays over Guardians, Rays over Orioles Saturday, Sunday, Cards over Brewers. Well, that's another whole week. Coco, we didn't even get to the wait to see. We don't even have time. I'll be able to get to it next week, I know, because it's not going anywhere. I got two words for you to think about over the weekend. Defamation. Be safe out there. And be careful because it's just business. This is Nothing Personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.